Hoo hoo. Hey guys, welcome to episode 75. Okay guys, so we're here with another great guest, of course. Um, but I, again, like I think, I believe I found her on podmatch.com, which has been a really good service for me. Um, the owner kind of reached out to me and, and sent me uh, some information and let me sign up and I've uh, been very happy because I found a lot of great guests, um, some of the more recent ones. And our next guest is another one where uh, I didn't tell her this off mic, but when I was, I was, you know, I go through, I'll type in disability or disabled or whatever little keywords and they come up and it, it kind of gives like a, before you click into her profile or anybody's profile, it gives you like a kind of a brief summary, but it's kind of cut off. So her, her thing said something about, you know, because it, it said something about disabled, but it also said uh, 38 triple D. And I was just like, is this like, is she using like her breast size as a disability? Like I really had no idea what she was doing. And so I, nope. so I went by it <laughs> and then I, I said, I got to come back to this cause there's something, whatever. So then I read the whole thing and of course I was like, okay, obviously it's something totally different. And you know, anyway, she can yeah. explain that. But, uh, so yeah, she, she really caught my eye with her whole story and, and, uh, I wanted to share it with you guys. So, um, just tell us your name and obviously, you know, just a little about yourself. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm Michaela S. Cox. I am an author and a speaker. I've multi-published um, mainly nonfiction, but I do write on a lot of varied and device, uh, diverse subjects. And I do have a story to share and a message. Um, as he mentioned, um, 38 Triple D, I'll explain what that means. Um, I've been calling it my journey of 38 Triple D, um, learning how to go from much tribulation to thriving in all things and what each of that the 38 triple D means is first D is lifelong disability of legal blindness. The second D is divorce at 26 from a very interesting first marriage. Uh, and then unfortunately, um, after that first marriage, I fortunate that I met him, but unfortunate that he's already passed. And we've lost him. My husband, my beloved husband, I was with him for 12 years, including dating. And he passed away four years ago. So 38 triple D all three D's. So it's, three different, so it's three different yeah. stages of your life, but within the same year. Mm, I mean, I was, I, it's my life story from birth to 38. I mean, that's a lot. Any one of those for most people would be a lot, but then you oh, put okay. all three in 38 years. That's gotcha. quite okay. the deal. So it wasn't all in the same year. It's within 38 years, those yeah. three incidences. Okay. But it's three yeah. different stages of your life within 38 years. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, okay. So why don't we obviously start from the beginning and start with the, the first D. Yeah, um, I was born totally blind. Um, I'm not sure of everyone's background, but I'm a face, and I believe I got my sight. So I do see, but it is impaired. And as my life has progressed, it's gone to, I think, kind of college or early adulthood. It was uh, legally blindness. Um, I'm not sure if you or your audience knows what that means. I'm, I'm legally blind, so yeah. Yeah, okay, well, then you know what I'm talking about. Um, do you want to explain it for your audience so they'll know what we're talking about? Yeah, I mean, most see one of the big. I mean, I'm sure I've explained in the past, but one of the things that a lot of people, and again, it varies on. You know, our sight will be different even if we have the same condition, and and even if we're exactly. both considered legally blind. But legally blind really means, and there's also like a legally deaf too, where it's like you can hear some, you can see some. It's just you're under a limit for a certain qualification. In our case, it's if you can't drive, you're considered legally blind. Um, and there's a number right. obviously in percentage with mine, you know, with so much scar tissue, they can't really tell the number, 
So they just say I'm legally blind, even though, I mean, I would still qualify regardless if the scar tissue wasn't there. But, um, yeah, I mean, again, so how much can you see? Like- I don't drive, and I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but as far as the numbers, if they're wondering, uh, I think the legal numbers are either 2,200 or 2,400 uncorrected, is I think what it is. Yeah, yeah, something like that, right. Yeah, and so that's, <clears throat> that's what I measure like when you go to the eye doctor and you take the eye exams and you do the eye charts and all the little well, things yeah. they do, Where the numbers get smaller. I measure, yeah. yeah, and I measure at that without correction. Right, and then they have so, uh, they have those things where like there's a computer screen or a screen across from you while you're sitting in your chair, and yeah. letters come up different sizes and, and usually like it's which is funny because I don't know if you've done this but I've kind of remember because once I sometimes I'll take my phone and I'll zoom in real quick just to see after I got it wrong I'll see what it is yeah. and a lot of times they repeat the same letters so sometimes sarcastically I'll just say like I know it's an H but I can't see it but it's see I thought it was the same letters but just in different order so you can't like memorize it or some crap like that they've gotten better at that yeah they have gotten because at yeah. one point they were using just like E's and H's like it was the same letters uh, and then they started doing like combinations of three letters and stuff like that. But uh, just for the audience, like a lot of times it starts off with like a giant letter where it's like it covers up the whole screen and then it, yeah. go, then it goes down to, you know, half the screen and then it starts, then like, then it takes one really big jump to where it's so small that most of us can't see it. I know. It's like ridiculous. Like, are you kidding me? Right. And then you've it, like, this is kind of, you know, I mean, again, there's something because we, we kind of share this. Um, do you ever have those days where, you're feeling really good about yourself and then you go to the eye doctor and then you feel so much shittier about yourself. Like where it's like, I think I did when I was a kid because I was so worried. Like when I was a kid, definitely because like intellectually I knew the answer, but I didn't want to give the answer. I knew intellectually because from what they were trying to determine what my vision could do, it was the wrong answer, but intellectually I knew it was the right answer. So I felt stupid. Right. right. Like, my intellectual brain, who knew what the hell she was talking about, wanted to say the right answer, but it did nothing for the test they were trying to run. And if I said, according to the test, I was afraid they were going to think I was stupid, even though I knew exactly what was going on. So I was like, I was so embarrassed and self-conscious. I'm like, okay, I don't know how to handle this. It was like that depth perception thing. Like when yeah, I was right. a kid, of course, I was born in 78. So, you know, things are way different now than they were back then. And I remember for several years as a kid, they would do that because um, I have crappy crappy depth perception and so they were trying to determine if i could see like 3d and depth perception and it was like i was supposed to tell them if i could see the wings you know like up off the surface because it was like 3d but i'm like it's a picture there's no way wings are going to be listed intellectually i knew this there is no way wings are going to be above so that's a wrong answer but it did not like and i hate being wrong (laughs) Right. <laughs> like <this laughs> war inside of myself. How do I answer this? Because they're either going to think I'm stupid or I'm giving the wrong answer for the visual test or this is suck. Like, no. Well, so, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Like, well, in my case, what I do is where, like, times I'll be feeling confident or I'll feel, you know, attractive or whatever. And I'm walking in there and, I'm, you know, I feel just relatively <laughs> mentally I'm, I'm in a good place. And I sit down and then I become, you know, a, a lab rat or whatever. And then they start saying, then they start pointing out all the like scar tissue and all these things. And I start going like, oh, that's right. Like, I mean, obviously I know, but there's times where yeah. I kind of just, I kind of just live with it. And I'm just like, okay, whatever. I'm good. Like, I feel good. Like, and, and you for, then you forget like how bad right. your eyes are and then how other people, when they point it out to you, even though it, it's medically and they mean, you know, it's, it's obviously a real reason, but 
that's when I start to feel like low where I go, ugh. Y'all, I'm on an interview. Sorry, my kids. <laughs> it's okay. Anyway, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. And then the other thing, like, I don't know what causes yours. Like, okay, first of all, have you always been that way, or did something happen like later in your life where it changed it for you? I mean, it's been most of my. I lost my most of my sight when I was four, so I don't remember. I'm 32 okay. now, so exactly. 20 of you yeah. my years have been my most of my life has been this well, way. I've always been this way. Like, I was born this way, so there's never going to be a day. Never be a breath I take where I don't know what's normal vision. No, like, I mean, yeah. this is my only reality. This is all I've ever known. So right. I live with it, and most days it's cool. Like, you say, like, okay, fine, whatever. You do what you got to do. You know, sucks, but you move on with it. Right. But then there's some days where if it kicks you in the butt, you're like, you know what, this really freaking is not my day. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't yeah. like this. Yeah, it's not every time. It's just sometimes where it's just, and it's usually when you least expect it, when you're actually feeling at your highest, and then it's yeah. like they bring you down back to where you were, you know, when you first started to, you know, come to terms with what you were and what you have. And it's like, wow, I'm still susceptible to this. Like shit. Um, well, okay. There's the, well, a lot of people, it's either we don't want to talk about it or we don't know how to identify it. Our intellect and how we feel emotionally may not always match up. Like we may know it intellectually, but our emotions can make us feel totally opposite. Right, right. <laughs> One way or the other. Exactly. So they don't have to match up. And more times than not, they don't. They are absolutely not on the same page. Right. So if you don't mind me asking what caused yours, because I know what caused mine and I can share that too. So. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, mine is from a, a disease called Stevens Johnson syndrome. Um, oh, okay. And it's for most people, I mean, people have already explained this, but it's, it's from a high allergic reaction to medication. Uh, in my case, it was oh. amoxicillin. I took it for, weirdly enough, an ear infection. Um, and yeah, of course it cured my ear infection, but it made all my skin burn off, hair fall out, teeth fall out, and, uh, yeah. it nearly killed me. Uh, and this is also 28 years ago in, in the medical field. So everything wasn't the, what it is now, especially technology. Yeah, and so, um, and so I had to go to a burn center and, and all these horrible things happened to me. Um, and so one what, of, you were born in 1988, eight, 1988. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, yeah. And, and so I tracked it wrong. No, you're good. Um, you're 10 years older than me. You said 78, right? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Yep. So 10 years younger than you. Um, I'm a liberal arts person. I'm not math. Okay. That's all right. No biggie. I'm not, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of with it today, but don't worry in about an hour. I won't be. Um, but anyway, but yeah. So one of the things that comes with that is, is a lot of scar tissue damage and, and, and just yeah. you know, it messes your eyes up. And so with my left eye, it's all like motions and colors and my right eye is okay. Like I can watch shows on Netflix and stuff. But with my phone, I have to zoom in, and um, you know, I sit closer to the TV. I don't have to have my face on the screen because the screen is pretty big. Right. But I can, with some yeah. stuff, I zoom in and stuff like that. I have a really big TV. I'm like, I'm one of those girls or girlfriends. Like, if I was ever to be with someone again, like, I will never complain about the guy wanting a big TV. Right. <laughs> it makes my life easier, and I can sit on the couch and still see what the crap I'm watching. I'm like, yes, please get as big as TV as you want. I'm all good. Right. Um, but, um, so yeah, what was your, condition? Oh, no, go ahead. mine is what they call optic nerve optrophy. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I don't know how much everyone knows about the medical side of things. And what it basically means is my optic nerve is totally jacked up. Like it's the wrong color. It's the wrong shape, right. which for most people who have a normal optic nerve is purple. Right. Like if you went into an eye doctor's office and saw a chart or a graph of the optic nerve, or like in a biology or maybe anatomy and physiology textbook or something, mm -hmm. you would see purple right. in the graph, like the image of it. 
Mine is the color of a vanilla folder, like you get it off the depot <laughs> and file okay. your paperwork in. Right. And whatever shape it's supposed to be, mine is not that. And what that means is for the reality of what that means is the way your blood flows through the optic nerve. Mm-hmm. I am not able to have the bloodstream go through properly, which means it doesn't send the right reception of the images that my brain needs to interpret to tell the eye what it's seeing. So a lot of time it amounts to either not seeing it or delayed reaction or it takes longer. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people ask me what I can see. Well, I'm like, um, it's not that simple. <laughs> it's not cut and dry. It's like if it's at night, you can forget it. If it's during the day, it depends on the lighting, how far away, the size, the shape. If I'm reading, is it a decent font? Is it a decent size font? Have I been using my eyes all day? You know? I understand all this, yes. I mean, it's two different conditions, but yeah, it hits close to home. I know exactly what you mean. Exactly. And then on top of the root cause of the optic nerve atrophy, which is not fixable because they don't, we don't do nerve transplants in our medical field right now. And even if we did, it's going to be kind of like the last frontier of medicine. Mm-hmm. and they don't have that, and they think they aren't doing the optic nerve. I mean, they would basically have to go in and screw with my brainstorm. Okay, I'm not afraid of surgery, but I'm like, uh, no thanks, I'm good. I just don't drive, okay? I've been doing it for almost 43 years. I'll stay put. Thanks. Yeah, don't mess with my I'm brain or my spine. Everything else. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm not going to give you, be a guinea pig so you can go screw with my brainstem. I'm good. Thanks. Right. But um, on top of the optic nerve atrophy is um, I have astigmatism, nystagmatism, my peripheral not as good and I don't have good depth perception. That's another one. I'm, I'm sure you've gotten this as well where like, again, if you're feeling really cool and sexy and you're like, yeah, I'm great today. And then you and then drop you something. Well, yeah. no, you go to you drop something and then you go to reach for something and you completely miss it. And it just like your whole coolness just goes out the window. It's like, you just look like a complete dick. And again, it's really yeah. only in your head, but Exactly. You want to be confident. You want to feel normal yep. or whatever that is. And you want to just be human. And again, obviously humans make mistakes, but it's like our mistakes are so obvious. And then you, you know, sometimes you can and play the propensity, it off. Well, yeah. And the propensity of it being so much more compared to the average person. Right. And the world doesn't give a dang about why you can't do what you do. They just want you to be able to do it. Like it's not my fault. If my transportation didn't show up to take me to work, well, I'm so responsible for it. Right. Yeah, and, and it's not my fault if if I can't read an important detail in an email because it's so freaking small and I missed it and then I didn't show up on time. They don't care about that. They care that why aren't you taking care of your business? Right. And my friend Sue Ellen says like transportation, especially for visually impaired and blind people, is like our biggest nightmare because we always need it. And mm-hmm. it's not as available as you would think, even though, yes, there's Uber, mm-hmm. yes, there's cabs and buses and all these things. But some things are not feasible, you know, financially, and some of these things aren't reliable and, and all that. And, nope. you know, it, it's something. We but yet we're still held accountable for our responsibilities, even though it's totally not our fault that, you know, we did our best to keep our crap together mm-hmm. and plan and accommodate and ducks in a row and all these crazy things that most people don't even have to think about, not realizing that we have to do just to do what they do. And if it goes to crap, the world is looking like, why don't you keep your shit together? <laughs> You're still responsible for it because it's your deal. Right. Yeah. It's one of those like days. And that's usually when it gets to me. Like I am not at fault for this, but I'm still paying the consequences for something I had no control over and didn't ask for, by the way. Right. Yeah, I know. That's usually when I get really not in a good place. Well, that's where like with us, you know, and and this just translates to anybody with a disability, but you know, we, they either want to like not like overly acknowledge what we have where it's like they want to baby us or it's, 
you know, they downplay what we have where it's like, if you say like, oh, I can do this. Oh, great. And then you go wonder what I can't do that. It's like, why not? It's like, exactly. It still applies. It's just, it's just a different situation. This affects me more than that other situation does. And I just can't do this one, but we can find a workaround. Well, I don't know what that is, but you got to do it our way. And it's like, well, I can't do it your way. I can't do it your way or I already done it. Right. And if I didn't, if I could do it myself, I wouldn't need the freaking help. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, hello. And so there's a lot of things. I mean, when I was a kid, I had, I've always been that kid that had all the accommodations. I was the girl that was on the front row. I had, depending on what year we're talking about, I had different types of technology at school. I've been doing audiobooks since I was like fifth grade. Um, in high school, I took the ACT. It took me 10 to 12 hours to take the ACT. Not my favorite thing in the whole entire world. Um, I only took it twice because it kicked my butt. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, in college, I would have done audiobooks, but at that time, they weren't on top of the professors wanting the newest edi- uh, edition two days ago before it was out. Mm-hmm. So I got tired of trying to figure out is page forty eight really page forty eight or is it sixty or fifty five? Okay. <laughs> on an outdated, <laughs> like no, I don't have time for this. So I hired readers, and then when I was in grad school. Uh, they had, they were more up on, you know, so I could get all my textbooks back on audio again. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, yeah, it, it's definitely a challenge. Um, when did you like for, and I've asked this to many people, but when did you find like first realize when you were younger or whenever your first realization of like that you were different and then you had something about you that would impact your life a little more differently than your average person? Quite honestly, I don't really remember. Cause like I said, um, in this way my whole life and so I don't know if I realized it before school when I'm like around kids you know in social settings mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if I have an exact moment in time for that question but what I do remember is even in excuse me in kindergarten I don't remember why but I always had a bully or someone picked on me I mean not only am I visually impaired and legally blind I have red hair and I was always a kid with the glasses like I was wearing glasses long before everybody else. I mean, I had glasses like when I was three. Right. The ginger girl and with glasses for a while, you can't see. Yeah. It's yeah. And the flag. other thing was when I was a, a toddler, for a while they were thinking if they could cover up one of my eyes with a patch, then maybe they could stream. I don't know why they did it and I can't even really explain it properly. If they could get one focus, then maybe they could integrate and get the other one and like get them to match up better. It didn't work. But so for a while I was walking around with a patch on one of my eyes. <laughs> Oh, like so now you're a, a pirate ginger. Yeah. Right. And so I always had bullies. I always got picked on. I was carrot top. I was four eyes. I was this, that, or the other. I was wearing, in second and third grade, I was wearing not just glasses. I was wearing bifocals and trifocals, trying out loud, okay? Right. Yeah. You're a bully. <laughs> Which are like scary prescriptions well, for yeah. most people to get used to. But try and be like, I guess, okay, second grade, that would have made me seven or eight and I'm trying to get used to not only wearing glasses but bifocals and trifocals. Are you kidding me? Right, yeah. You're just you're set up you're basically a meal for for a bully because it's it yeah. even, even the light like the slightest just you know, just calling you names or, or whatever, like even in kindergarten where it's you're not probably not gonna get beat up or anything, but you're still I mean, any kid that sees something like that, it's like, Oh, you're totally different. Uh, easy. Easy cakes. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I was on the front row, and for a while I had a little telescope I used, and I had extra time, so I wasn't always done with everybody else. And right. Sometimes the teachers were reading to me. I mean, it was, it was not a secret. <laughs> no way was this a secret. 
Yeah. Everybody knew. That's kind of and so I parts. always had. Yeah, because not only are you dealing with a disability and having to work your butt off 10, 15, whatever the crap you want to say, 10 times harder than everybody, then you're dealing with the social pressures and being ostracized or isolated or whatever the crap you want to call it. And you're drawing attention to yourself by having attention there. Yeah, but you have to have it so you can't say no to it or you're going to fail. Right, right. And you may be okay with it, so then you get treated like crap for it when it's not even in your control or your fault, which really irritates me. Mm. And then like, so I always had bullies. I always got picked on. And then, like, it just it makes it so much harder, you know? And it's just like there wasn't a year where there wasn't somebody. And for a while, I mean, I am a Christian, and it never deterred me from my faith. But I even got picked on at church for a couple of years by this one person. Like, I was his target for, like, from third grade to twelfth grade. Yeah. So I was getting it at school and at church, which that's not to say that I don't – I'm not trying to discourage anyone from if that's their thing, do it. I still go. Right. Well, not so much in the pandemic, but you know what I mean? Right, it's but, part of my life. I've never walked away from it. But I got it at school. I got it at church. I got it everywhere. Right. On top of being stressed out with just knowing I was having a harder time trying to do normal stuff, knowing I was different and having to adapt and learn and grow and whatever. I remember third grade. This might be a better example of what you're asking. Okay. I remember in third grade when you start doing like time math tests, like the so many equations or problems in like a minute. Right, right. And I didn't know it was called a panic attack then, but I remember, I remember mentally and emotionally freaking out because I knew intellectually, I knew the answers and I was smart, but because of my vision, it wouldn't physically allow me to finish the task. And so I was scared to death. I was going to fail, which I thought was wrong because I knew all the answers. Right. Because if you're using a CCTV or a magnifier, you have to slowly scroll past the the letters and you've got to read it slow. But you, you could, you know, and then, you know, like if it's one of those multiple choice, you know, you got to scroll down slowly to find A, B, C, or D. And then you got to, you know, yeah. and if you knew it was B, but you already went down to C and D, now you got to slowly scroll back up to find that yep. bubble to fill in. Like it's not, mm-hmm. and then with the CCTV, you know, you got to constantly move that tray. And sometimes it slides a little too far over. And again, it, it's just, it takes a little more time. It's just, so yeah. And it, we didn't have that back then in the eighties when I was in the so great, but it was the fact of. I thought it was wrong because the whole goal of time test is to see how quickly you can do it in the amount of time. I'm like, I know the answers. I'm smart. But because my eyes won't let me keep up, y'all are going to think I'm dumb and inadequate and insufficient. I was freaking out over a stupid freaking time test. I mean, what what third grader needs to be having literally anxiety attack because she can't do a stupid thing because of her stupid... Oh, my gosh. So that was probably the... I only remember... And affecting me and impacting me was when I started having to do time tests in third grade. Right. Yeah. That kind of answers your question better. No, yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't do I didn't do scantrons and like that's why when I took the ACT, I would go in my guidance counselor's office and it would take me four days. I would take three or four class periods, one day each for four days, like Monday through Thursday, and each day during those three or four class periods. I would do one section of the ACT that took me three to four hours because I would listen to it on audio. And then I would circle in the textbook, like the one that the people are reading. And then she would have to transfer my answers to Scantron. Yeah. I don't know if you have ever thought of this, but honestly, like if you think about it, just like, especially in the times we're in now, obviously you're a little different, more sensitive and and just with bullying is, is going up a notch because of the internet and all that, whatever. But in, with, with, with way mental health is, and you know, we're now addressing it a little more, but 
if you run your life back, I don't know, five times, this is probably your best case scenario. And I say that because all the things you went through, all the bullying and all the, you know, the torture that you went through and just, you know, again, especially being a girl and, you know, obviously looks matter and all that. And then just people, people just treating you the way you were like, obviously suicide could have been in your future. You could have been one of those kids that shot up a school type of thing. Like all these things play out. This is how these type of horrible tragedies happen and how you turned out, how you are now being an author and and a mother and all the great things that you've accomplished in your life. If you probably run it back five times, this is probably your best case scenario for all the things that were thrown at you. Yeah. I mean, I thought about that because a lot of times, especially when you get an adolescent, um, I don't know about guys because I'm not a guy, so I can't speak to what y'all go through. But I know as a girl, a lot of times when girls are missing something in their life, like love or acceptance or affection or whatever, they turn to things that aren't so healthy, right? Yeah, like unhealthy guys. (laughs) Yeah, and other things. Right. And I didn't have a lot of that because I had been rejected for so long, and I was literally rejected for most of my academic pre-college, except I had occasional pockets of friends, but then they, for whatever reason, I moved or they moved or you know, they had, you know, whatever. So they were in and out of my life. So I didn't have, like, I didn't really get a bestie until I was already a freshman in high school. And we've been friends for almost, you know, over 25 years, but she went to church with me and not school. So I never really for permanency, like stable had someone that I was always with in my class. And so in that way, I've often thought about had I been different or maybe had a different home life, because I was raised um, in a two-parent. They've been married um, 47 years coming up. They've been together for almost 50 years in October. And, you know, you know, mom stayed at home for the most part, except when, you know, he had to needed her help because he was doing a, a transition of careers or whatever. Um, I was raised by two parents who were happily married for the most part, as far as I know. You know, they all have, you know, we all have problems in marriages, but I never knew about them right. if they ever had any. So, it was, for all accounts, your perfect little whatever. I was an only child, which didn't help because I wasn't used to siblings picking on me. So when it happened at school, I didn't handle it very well because right. I was a little uber sensitive. <laughs> How were they with you as um, far as with your eye condition? Your parents? Growing up, they were great. So, I mean, they were strong advocates for me, you know, and kind of like the doctors told them back in 78 and 80s, like I said, um, medicine's not back then what it is today. So they had no clue why I had it, why it happened, why was I seeing when I wasn't supposed to be. They had no way of having any idea about what I was going to be able to do. Because supposedly with optic nerve optrophy, there's supposedly like a whole other total crap things that are supposed to come with it that somehow I never got. I don't even know what they are. I never had to deal with them. Right. And they're like, we need to let you know you might be in for a long road or she may never be able to do this. She may never be able to do that or whatever. We don't know because there's no history in your family. So there's nothing for us to go off of and we don't understand how this works. So we don't really know what to tell you to expect. So my parents' attitude was kind of like, well, okay, we're in it. There's nothing we can do about it. So let's just see what she can do and where she goes. And they taught me never to give up and finish what you start. Don't quit, you know, and whatever. So I kind of see the way I was raised and with my parents that, um, okay, I've got this situation. I can choose what to do with it or not. I didn't pay those words when I was a kid, obviously, but it was basically, I get to see what I can do with this. And I basically took on the attitude of, I'm going to have willpower and persistence and tenacity and perseverance and determination. And, Oh, I can't do it. 
okay, fine, I'll do it to prove you wrong. Again, and that's kind of how you, again, I think that that support is what, you know, and my, and just my assumption, but is what kept yeah. you so strong through all the things that you went through. Because at least, yeah. you know, because there's a lot of people that go through that stuff and then go to an unbalanced home and they're getting picked on right. at home or their parents are abusive or just their parents are fighting and there's alcohol and all that shit. But with you, like, you could come home to, it's like your safe haven. Like, you know, you're happy right. and, and you guys are going to have dinner around the table and you guys can laugh and have fun. Um, Probably if I didn't have that, it would have been, and had what I had to go through at church and school and everything. But when I did at church, it probably would have been a different story. But for, you know, a long time, that was the case. I was, you know, when I was at home, I, you know, I had a break, you know. Right. And no, Even though it was no still tough and hard. Yeah. No one to, you yeah. know, continue the bullying while you're at home. Exactly. Like, right. I don't know. If I had to be bullied now, I don't know what I would have done. Right. I feel like it would have been way worse. Well, you turned out to be a great person. So that's awesome. Um, so how do we transition from the first D to the second D? Well, I mean, I still, I mean, we can if you want, but I was going to say, I still have things in adulthood that I deal with. Oh, kind yeah. of, please, please. Um, not so much in marriage in either case, but more of, I worried about it more as being a mom because, you know, you have, when you become a parent, you have other people to take care of. Well, my vision doesn't let me do certain things. So it's like, even though I knew parents do it all the time, but it's like, it's different when it's you. <laughs> Right, right, yeah. And in reality, and you know, I just had to work harder and get smarter and be efficient and work around it. And my kids are older now, so things are easier. You know, they're not babies. I'm having to worry about like, God forbid, I drop a pill on the floor and can't see where the hell it is. Were they very yeah. helpful with you, even like really young? Like, did they understand that mommy, you know, has an eye problem and there's certain things? Yeah, that I mean, need them for. They didn't understand it as well as they do now because, like, now my daughter is ten, going on eleven. Oh my God, going into middle school, like ah freak out like okay that's coming fast like what am i gonna do uh, oh no kidding and then my son is seven going on eight so they understand a lot better now than obviously did when they were two and three and four or five you know whatever but they've always been kind of tried to help you know and they get it you know like and they understand that mommy can't do certain things but she does her best and you know we're gonna make it work and do what we gotta do so well i think it's you're a good example for them because then hopefully obviously that they won't turn into bullies themselves because even if you're a good parent doesn't mean they won't but the fact that they know what you go through now, maybe they will be that kid, you know, the one that became your best friend that will sit with you at the table and actually, you know, they'll see the kid that's being picked I hope on. So. I want to read, I want to raise nice, kind kids, not mean kids. And I've done told them like, uh, uh-uh, we don't do that. And if I ever catch one of you doing it, you, yeah, you're going to regret it. Cause that ain't happening in this household. <laughs> right. Like I said, that's why I think it's a good thing that they have you in your life because they're you're you know kind of a beacon and you're a certain type of light that just shows them like okay like yeah like if if I'm gonna make fun of them then that's like making fun of my mother like um, and maybe yeah. they'll, they'll be less tolerant of things like that. But again, you know, peer pressure is is a real bitch in this world. So especially when you yeah. when you're really young. <clears throat> yeah. But so I get through high school and college, and like most people, you find a guy or a girl in college, and you'll date whatever the typical kind of american you know adulthood you know you're in your 20s you graduate you decide to get married blah 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 you know the usual and we did um uh, he was my college sweetheart and we were married for three years and almost four years on paper and that was a crap show I ended up being a crap show so hmm. i decided it was not viable anymore and that it wasn't anything that could be fixed after many efforts and attempts and so even though I didn't personally believe in divorce because of the way I was raised, obviously, you know, what we've talked about with my parents and right. my background of faith that, um, I had to walk away. And so 
even though I chose to walk away, I didn't choose the scenario that created me having to walk away. And so I did. I got divorced when I was 26. And um, that was 05. I was 26 going on 27. Yeah. And then, so that was like February. And then I was fortunate enough to meet another guy um, who ended up being my husband all over my life that same year in May. And we were together two years dating and then almost 12 total and almost 10 years of marriage when he passed away in 2017. Yeah. Is, is he the father of your kids? Yes, he is. So, yep. How did, how did they take that? Um, I think at the time it was harder on my daughter because she was older. There's like three years difference between my daughter and son. So she cognitively understood better at six and seven than versus being, but he felt it. Don't get me wrong, but when you're three, you can't really label, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. All you know is dad is just not around. Yeah. And then, um, we were living in New Hampshire at the time. Um, so after I finished things up in New Hampshire and Megan, my daughter got out of, um, what was that first grade for her? Yeah. We moved back to Louisiana where my parents live. Um, so we did all that and got set up and we've been here for the last four years. And now that Jesse's older, um, he understands a lot more. And so last year was kind of rough. So, how long has he been gone? Because he's finally at the age of what his sister was, so cognitively he could process better than what he could at three. He's been gone um, four years and three months, coming up on the fourth. How How is that for you just as a person, just kind of like, I mean, obviously that's a long part of your life, and you can't, at least it didn't end, I mean, it ended horribly, obviously, but it didn't end where, you know, where we're at now, where people ghost you and disappear and, and, and cheat on you and do all these horrible things. He He, he died. Yeah which is really unfortunate, but you know, maybe, I mean, there is no real closure to have because you know, the person's going to die and he dies and obviously it sucks, but no, how- he died suddenly and unexpectedly. Oh. It was a weird thing. Like, I mean, uh, as a matter of fact, the book that I just published, um, on the 22nd of this month. So a little over, no, a week from yeah, last Tuesday, it, it dropped on um, Amazon. There's a chapter in uh, chapter 17 where I start talking about, that the journey that I've been on as a widow and a solo mom, and it was it was a normal day. Uh, we had watched, I, I like ladies basketball college. I described that we watched March Madness the weekend before. He had a leave day. He was military. So he had a leave day. We were going into town over to do some stuff with Jesse, our son. And so we stayed up late to watch the overtime game. And, you know, he, we, I went to an appointment I had. He went to go get a haircut because he had his hair was getting too long for military, so he had to be at work the next day with meeting regulations and right. so you know I- just normal day. And he went out to do homework because we were we were student. Well, I was done at that point, but he was still in. And then I find out he's gone. So how is like that, that as a person, just a mom and a wife? How is that to just like pick up and and start over now? Because you don't have a choice. It's not like you can no, call no. him back and maybe you can get back together. Like. How do you how do you do that mentally? Like, I mean, I'm sure. I mean, it's been four years, but obviously, I'm sure you still think about them and whatever else. But yeah. how do you? I mean, you can't. You also have to move on. Like, there's there's no other way about it, around it. So, how do you do that mentally? Just you know, you lost your you know what it, you consider your soulmate, and now, yeah, back out in the dating world again with two kids, and you're disabled. Well, I was. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying I'm the youngest or the oldest. I've known widows a lot younger than me, but I was 38 at the time. So that's a pretty young age and I had a six-year-old and a three-year-old at the time so I was still very much in being a mom and the kids are at home you know 
it's hard. It's probably out of the three Ds of disability, divorce, and death. It's absolutely the hardest one I've ever had to walk through. It's a totally different ballgame, and it's a totally different type of marathon, you know, what you have to do. I mean, I was on the East Coast at the time in New Hampshire, so it was 9 o'clock East Coast time that night. Um, I knew, because Megan was still in school, Jesse was still at home. He hadn't started kindergarten yet. Because obviously, if you're three, you're not in school yet. Um let me see if I can do the math right, because I suck at math. Nine hours later, I was going to have to get my daughter up and get her ready for school and act like nothing happened and be normal. Yeah, that takes some strength. I think I should have gotten an Oscar for that morning, but that's okay. Yeah, no, <laughs> that, that performance. That takes a lot. Cause, yeah. And I was going on like four hours of sleep, so. I'm it sure. I'm sure surprised you even got that much. Um, well, because I was so exhausted. I, my body made me crash whether I wanted to or not, so. Right, yeah, sometimes you just burn out and you can't help it. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people would assume, I mean, I guess all those, you know, could be hard, but, you know, like the disabled thing, a lot of people can make do with it. Um, And I've said many times, like, the life is what makes a disability much harder because of how many things, how many barriers in the way. But, and again, obviously, if you're in a wheelchair, there's people have worse disabilities than what you and I have. Uh, Obviously, being blind is worse. And in, in some ways, but, but in some ways, and I, yeah, and I do, and I'm not trying to take from the disabilities because I haven't had to walk that anymore. They've had to walk mine, so I don't live it, so I don't know. But I think in some ways, vision's the worst because, like, ninety percent of how we take in this world is through our vision, and when that shot is like your whole way that you have to perceive everything in life and learn, it's totally screwed and jacked up and skewed. And it's like a lot of times, unless you have a seeing eye dog or a cane or something that makes it. Um, obvious to the outside world, they think you're normal, so they're looking at you like you're crazy when you can't do something. I'm like, no. Yeah, right. I think there's a case for Whereas, them, but yeah. It's like if you see someone in a wheelchair, you're like, oh, okay, they get it. It's obvious. But sometimes with vision, it's not so obvious. It's not so apparent. It's more implicit than it is, you know, explicit. Yeah, no, I gotcha. Yeah, I'm. I'm just mean. There's people that are, you know, obviously special needs. There's people that are paralyzed yeah. from the waist down. There's, there's ones that are way worse than ours. Even, even if yeah. the sight sight sucks to lose, I think it's worse than a lot of other ones. But yes, there, there's just some to me that are just less fortunate. And you can make do with what you have. And like I said, you and I have made do with what our, what we have in our sight. Most people would want to. They wake up tomorrow and they would want to kill themselves because our sight is not that great. But for us, yeah. we live with it. Whether we want to or not, it's humbling, it, it's sad, it, it's it's whatever. But we live with it and we make do with it. Whereas, you know, death is, is a hard one because a lot of people, you lose somebody. And, and depending on who they are and what they meant to you, there's some people when they leave your life, you can't replace them. Or you can't you can't no. recreate what they give to your life. No, um, you can't. Yeah. And, and even, I mean, sometimes you, you know, you try with multiple people, maybe some people have certain characteristics that that person had and you spread them amongst all your friends, but there's still always something missing there. Um, yep. and so, yeah, I mean, you got to try to find more people that give you new excitement and, and give you different features and qualities that you never had in life, but to recreate a person, you just can't, you got to just kind of leave it as what it is and say that was a chapter of your life. And then, yep. you know, honor them however you can, and then just, move on with whatever you can. Um, and a, right. lot, a lot of times when you lose somebody, you, you lose a part of yourself. Like there's a part of you that, you know, and people, oh, definitely. people say that it's that hokey, night, but it's true. Part of me that night felt like, um, I died when John died. Right. And well, part of me is never gone because of that. So. Yeah. 
I, I, you know, there's just, there's certain things that just like, it's, it's just one of those, you just kind of put it in a box and you bury it. You know, it's like one of those timeshares, like you just bury it and it just stays there. Like you, but you never come back to it. You never dig it back up and it just stays there and you, you just will never get that piece of you. Um, and you hope that a lot of that doesn't happen because there's people that it happens, especially death and stuff like that happens to you. And if you hope to not have so many tragic things to the point where, you know, you're just kind of a mute, you're just a person that just walks through life with anger. And, and like I said, running your life back, there's so many ways that you could have just be this person that just, even if you're not suicidal or a murderer, you could just be this person that hates life and hates people and, exactly. um, and not appreciate the life that you do have and what you have accomplished. So you know, I think it is the best situation or best scenario of, of how your life played out. So, um, well, I mean, I've had kind of my own, but through learning what I've learned, um, an approach that I think I've developed that's allowed me to do what I've done. So, um, I, it's a five step process for me. Um, you know, one is kind of optional depending on your background and what you choose to believe in life. Um, Obviously, for me, because of my background, uh, my faith has seen me through all of it. But outside of that, I have um, believed that life is a choice. And what I mean by that is you may not be given your circumstances. Like you were saying, we didn't choose a disability. Or in my case, I didn't choose it. I didn't choose a crappy first marriage that ended in divorce. And I didn't choose to lose my husband. But I do much, very much, in fact, get to choose um, what I do with it. And how I use it. Um, I can give you a metaphor for that. Um, I think of it as, okay, you're playing a card game, right? You're dealt a, a, a hand of cards. Okay. You didn't choose those cards that you were dealt, whether you're playing spades or gin or poker, or, you know, whatever, fill in blank. But, hearts, spades, whatever. But I can, if I'm a good card player, and the goal is to win the game, hopefully play a certain card in my hand strategically to help me win that outcome of winning that game or that hand, right? Right. Okay. You're a painter and you are hired to do a job, but you personally have a certain style of art you like to do or a certain method or a certain medium of art to do. But your person that you hired, you said, no, I want you to do it this way. Well, they're the boss in our world. When you work with someone, you got to do it the boss way, right? So you don't get to choose the options that you were given, but you're an artist and you're a creative person. You can decide how you express and communicate on that canvas or whatever you're doing in a way to accomplish what they want you to create and make it beautiful. And that's a few. Yeah. Have you? So I was, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, have you ever? Because there's times where we can kind of have our own little outer body experiences. We can kind of take in everything you've been through and we can just realize that we are stronger than we actually ever gave ourselves credit for. So like whether whether it's your husband dying or something other tragic, other something other that happened, excuse me, I can speak today, something else that happened in your life where in most people would have affected them a certain way or affected you a certain way to the point where it's like, wow, it could be so tragic that could have been... I don't know, something in their life that affected them so badly that it, it, it impacted them on a harsher level. But for you, you've been through so much and you are much stronger than you, you know, than the average person. Have you ever been able to just kind of like, whether it is your husband or something, something else happening, that it happened and then you got over it relatively quickly or you, you just dealt with it in a, in a certain way 
And because of all the baggage and all the things that you've gone through in your life, it kind of helped you to, to fight that off. Yeah, I think the lessons I learned with having a disability early in life, I was able to apply when other things came up in life, like going through divorce and um, being a widow and a solo mom. Like, I kind of had to practice run on it <laughs> with a disability. Okay. The things that I developed as, like, part of my toolkit or toolbox or skills or whatever. Yeah. Because even though all tribulations and all struggles and all difficulties and all challenges are different, in life, whatever someone's going through, it's not going to be the same as mine and mine's not going to be the same as yours. But the idea of thriving and overcoming is like the same skill set, no matter what situation you apply it to. If you want to thrive, if you want to overcome, you still have to do the same thing, no matter what you're trying to thrive through or overcome. So um, for me, it's knowing life is a choice and I could choose. I could define it for myself. I didn't have to let my circumstances mm -hmm. define it for me. Mm -hmm. I could have made totally different choices and my life would have turned out totally different, but I didn't want that. Right. Absolutely. So I chose to say, you know what, I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to do my best and I'm going to let this hold me back. It's not going to kick my butt. Well, it does sometimes, but generally speaking, mm -hmm. you know, I don't let it kick my butt. I don't let it keep it from letting me do what I want to do, you know? Right. And right. I'm very happy to tell the world to say, you know what, you can hold my beer and sit back and freaking watch. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you also do have moments though where, something does yeah, pierce through your armor and you know, you do get sad or, you know, cause depression and, and, and mental health in general comes with having a disability or any tragedy in life. So I don't like feeling trapped when I feel trapped. My disability is usually not a good day, right. which usually means some plan didn't work out or some transportation didn't show up. And I'm freaking out because I have all this crap to do and I have no way of fixing it because if I could fix it, I could do it myself and I wouldn't need help in the first place. And now I can't do anything about it. Right. But we all, I'm afraid that I won't be able to replace it or put it back together to get it done in time, and then I'm screwed. So that's usually when it gets to me. That's usually what's going on in my head. So right. But we all have our like little Zen things and things we do to help get us through. Is is writing like yep. your therapeutic way of getting through some of your problems? That and meditation and counseling and music. Those would be some major things in time with friends. But one of the other things I did, um, it's all about mindset. Mm -hmm. Truly, it sounds cliche, but truly half the battle is mindset. And that's why they say in our society that expression, mind over matter. And it's not easy. To me, it's one of the more difficult things. So that's why you meditate or you do yoga or you do writing or scripture or faith, whatever your thing is, or whatever, fill in the blank, or exercise or working out, whatever. But if you can keep your mindset in a positive vibe, now I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not saying I'm perfect at it. Lord knows I have had my days, especially after losing my husband, where I was at the other end of the spectrum where I was not so okay and I knew this wasn't okay. What the crap? But then I've had days like, okay, this might, it's not okay, but it might actually end up okay, you know? Right. I think your mindset and how you choose what to do with your mindset, you can't always control the thoughts and feelings that come to us. And you have every right to those thoughts and feelings. Yeah. We're human. That's our humanity. And that's fine. And once you process them and deal with it, but what you choose to do, going back to life's a choice, do with those thoughts and emotions, you can either let them help you or hold you back. You can choose to be positive or negative. You can choose to be, let's see, the life, the glass is half empty or half full. You can try and find, even if it's a small thing of joy or a small thing of gratitude or let me choose to do what I can. It's all in your mindset and the power of your mindset and your, you know, your thought process. So to me, life is a choice. It's my mindset. And then uh, another thing I've done more so in grief than I ever did before because 
when I was a young mom, I don't mean just my age personally, but having young kids and being a first time mom or whatever, I was in grad school. <laughs> and I was disabled. And so I didn't have a lot of time. I had first eight months and, you know, I had an eight month old when I started grad school. And by the time I did my thesis, I had a three year old and a four month old. Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a lot of time. <laughs> And my husband was military and doing his own school thing. We got through it. We did it together, but we didn't have a lot of time. And then I really didn't have a lot of time because when you're disabled, as I'm sure you know, it takes you longer to do stuff. Fortunately, yeah. There was no free time. <laughs> so I didn't do a lot of self-care back then because when I did, I'm like, oh, my God, I should be working on the house or, oh, my gosh, I need to be writing this paper. Or, oh, my gosh, I need to be – it was like this triangle of always if I was doing one, I felt worried about – I was. Uh, dropping the ball on the other two or vice versa for like five years right. so I didn't take a lot of time for me there was no time to take for me right and if you're dealing but with it, mental health like depression a lot of people do what people don't realize though. it makes you really tired and you get tired of battling in your own head to the point where you sometimes you just need to just lay there and do nothing and just like exactly just let it I all love naps I love naps sleeps are one of my favorites yeah, naps are great yeah yeah so in grief I can tell you this from grieving um, if you don't do self-care, it will knock you on your ass and you don't have a choice because it will take over. So your best bet when you're grieving is to allow yourself grace and some self-care time because that will have every bit to do with how well you process and how well you heal and it was how you travel that journey of grief. So I can honestly say in the last four years, I've gotten a lot better about doing self-care because I learned I didn't have a choice. Right. <laughs> it, it, was, it would determine whether I drowned in it. Or to keep my head above water and tread and at least try and make my way through it of course. by doing self-care. What is the inspiration and the subject matter of your, your books? Um, the newest one is exactly what we're talking about. It's now I see a um, learned lessons through a, life, a lifetime of learned lessons through my journey about talking about what it was to go through life disabled and the divorce and death of my husband. So it's my first in the series that's going to be about my life. Um, so it's very much delving into what we're talking about. The, the triple eight, 30 day, uh, uh, third, thir- triple D, sorry, 38 triple D. Um, disability, divorce, death, um, and what that journey looks like. Um, I dried, I, so that just happened on the 22nd. I have a series on my face. I have a series on motherhood. I have a series on what started out for my kids, not children's books but things I want them to know as they're growing up in their own journey. But then I think it can also help other parents to what they want their kids to learn in life for their journey in life and kind of just intentional parenting about what we pack on to our kids, you know? Right. And then I have one on politics. Yes, I'm weird. I like politics. I actually I got my master's in. But it's not really about one side or the other. It's more of about what do we need to be doing as Americans and we the people. So anyway. Right. What's it, what's it like to... Just like a kind of a side question, but what what is it like to, you know, be a person who kind of needs protecting for a while and now you have kids and you still have a disability, but now you have to be protective of them? Um, Like I said, I've always chosen to do what I had to do and um, do my best. And like, you're not going to stop me. I mean, yeah, I can't drive. Okay. There's no getting around that one. Okay. But if it's in my power, you're not going to stop me. I'm not going to let it. I have chosen not to let it. And I'm going to work my ass off to do whatever it takes to get the job done and do my best and do what I got to do. And that was one of the things I remember. Uh, there's just some things that never leave you when they happen in your life. I'll never forget it. 
um, I was, um, and he lived in Manchester, New Hampshire. And um, when I found out about the passing of my husband, I couldn't hold a thought in my head. I couldn't. But what I did know is the kids. I don't care what this looks like for me. I couldn't even figure out what this looked like for me at that moment. But I knew the kids. I knew in that moment that the only way to do this right was to ensure that they were okay. Whatever that took, come hell or high water, it didn't matter what I was going to. I mean, it did. But, I mean, as a mom, it didn't matter. Mine could wait. I had to make sure they were okay and that they would get through this life okay without their father. Yeah, obviously. It was as simple as that. How long did it take you to actually finally, like, grieve once you kind of, because obviously, like you said, you were being there for them more more than for yourself. So how long did it take you to actually kind of make a little time for yourself to cry and actually grieve the way you should have? Well, it was probably once I got back to Louisiana because um, when you're military, uh, meaning my husband, they have like all these things you have to do, which is awesome because they help you get it done. And I don't think I could have done it without the guy that was assigned to me. It's called a casualty assistant officer, CAO. Um, and we're still friends. And I'm actually going to his wedding in September. Um, so I literally worked with him for like 90 days. So like the first 90 days was all about, okay, figuring out what we had to do next and the funeral and taking care of all the things that you take care of and for the military side. And then when I figured out that we needed to move back to Louisiana, it was getting prepared for that, you know, and all that stuff. So when I got, it was April 4th of 2017, we moved to Louisiana on June 26th of 2017. Once I got us in an apartment, I took like, I didn't want to deal with, I knew the kids wouldn't even be with my parents, their grandparents and spend a lot of time with them. So that helped me get settled and kind of move in and just have time to just be. And I had to wait for things to get in. Like, we didn't have our belongings at first because the military shipped them, so that took a little time. So I just hung out for about probably four or five weeks. I was at the apartment with a girlfriend by myself, and my kids were at my parents' house. And I just set us up, and that kind of was, like, the first time where I wasn't having to – I mean, I was doing stuff, but I didn't have to, like, wake up and fix breakfast for somebody or, you know – whatever you know all the mom things so that was kind of the first time I did that but because my son was still not in school the first year of grief and by the way the first year of grief you're basically on autopilot autopilot you're not really feeling anyway you're just numb <laughs> so yeah. it was kind of after once he got into school and both my kids were in school um, fall of 2018 if I'm tracking that right is when I finally had private time and private space to actually if I needed to whatever I could. And I kind of had to do it gradually. It wasn't like, and I'm not discounting someone who's been married a long time and they lose their spouse and their kids are out of the house because that's equally as hard because you're alone, but they have a lot more freedom, a lot more time, most likely to just delve into the grief process. Whereas I did not. Right. <laughs> I had kids. Have so. you, have you been able to get back out in the dating world? Actually, interestingly enough, I am just now started that process. Um, after this, the fourth anniversary of, April uh, of this year, I've started having a mental thought process just about what I wanted to or not. It took me a long time to figure out how I would handle that and what I wanted to do. I didn't think I would. I really didn't. And I had decided I had to do certain things to prepare myself that if I chose to get what it would take for me to do that. And so I've only in the last few months considered that option. Have you noticed, taken me has, has there any been any difference from the dating world when you last were in it till now? Um, mainly because I didn't have kids before. 
you know, you you have to do things differently when it's just you, you know, I can do what I want when I wanted, how I wanted it didn't matter. It was just me. Right. Well, I have to consider them and how this is going to affect them and how this, if whatever I do, whether I do or don't on anything, how's this going to impact them? How's it going to make them feel? What is that going to do to their life? You know, and okay, I need to make sure they're settled somewhere. If I want to go be an adult woman and enjoy a date or dating life. Right. Well, and there's just the rules keep changing, too. Like I said, when we were talking earlier about like ghosting and all that, like people just disappear for no reason now. Um, And I know it's not that new, but it's still within the last five, six years where it became like a real thing. Um, And, and, you know, we're in this hookup culture and all that. And like, you know, if you're looking and again, if you're looking for that, that's fine. But there's a lot of people that say they're not looking for that and they are looking for it. And so, like, you know, you being a mom, obviously, you know, even thinking of the idea of getting close to someone else, but then also even having the idea of like, well, maybe it can be in my children's life. There's a lot of things that go into it that you obviously didn't have in the beginning. And again, like I said, the rules kind of keep getting changed a little bit. So it's like, you can't just go into it with the same mindset anymore. Like you actually have to think about multiple aspects of it. You can't just think about your own selfish needs unless you just want to hook up with somebody on, you know, a discreet way or whatever. Fine. But that's probably not what you want, especially since you waited four years. Um, you know, you had time. I've never been the type of girl, even before that, where I'm I'm not trying to knock anyone, but I'm just saying me personally, I've never been the type of girl that had to have a guy just to have a guy. No, I don't do that way. I'm too independent for that. I'm like, no, it needs to be the right guy, the right circumstances. And he's going to meet a list of criteria. I have high standards. I mean, maybe that makes me, you know, snobbish I don't know but I believe in not settling I have a certain type of relationship philosophy and I have certain things that are important to me and I'm not just going to go do it for the heck of it right. sorry well, high standards, it's not right. worth it a lot of times that costs you more pain than it's worth because it ends up not working out I'm not going to do that right like we do live in a very shallow time but shallow usually just shallow to me is always referred more to looks whereas like high right. standards can mean like if you're saying you want someone who's legitimately honest and a loyal person and, you know, does, you know, actually works and actually busts his ass in life. And, you know, he has something to live for and, and, you know, whatever, like those aren't to me aren't, that's not, I mean, you know, some people might say it is, but it's not high standard. That's not much to ask for, but you just want someone who actually is going to put an effort, especially, you know, you are now in your forties and it's like, you're not going to want some guy just staying on your couch and bullshitting. Yeah, but and, mine are, it is that, but mine's way more than that because I had to consider like, Okay, I'm disabled. That might be an issue for someone. I have two kids. That might be an issue for someone. I mean, some of those are, and I'm a widow. Okay, so any one of those could be an issue or like a, a deal breaker for someone. Then you put them all together. My life is not as simple as the typical person. It's very complicated. Right. Now, does it, is it hard? No, I make it work. But that can be very complicated and messy for people. And then let's add to the fact that according to the military, they have certain, like if I want to keep my financial benefits, there are certain rules to play by the game. Right. Oh yeah, that's that's, so, that's the wrinkle there. Yeah, yeah, and not only that, it's a double wrinkle wrinkle for me because I'm not someone because of the disability who's going to say, "Oh well, if I lose my benefits, I'll be able to get a job anywhere." No, right. it doesn't work that way for the disabled in this country. Right, so absolutely. it would be very stupid and foolish of me, especially while my children are still minors and in the home. Now, once they're 18 and on their own and they're taking care of their business, if I lose benefits, it wouldn't be as hard. Right. But it would be absolutely foolish and irresponsibly as a caretaker and a mother to two young minor children to let that go away, especially when I know in my other extra caveat of my life as a disability that I have only had two decent jobs since I was 18. Because guess what? 
no one hires you in this country, right. even though you can't prove it because they won't let you prove it because as soon as they tell you why, they know their asses are going to get sued. So no one can prove it. It's like the elephant in the American room of employment for the disabled that you can't prove, even though everyone knows it's there. Good luck trying to prove it. Yeah. So it would be foolish on my part to let go of what's providing for my family right now. Right. Yeah, they can't. Like, and that would be irresponsible. If you walked into a restaurant or a store or a grocery store or whatever and, and you see all white people, then people will have a you know conniption. It's like, oh, okay, they're racist. But most stores and most businesses don't have anybody with disabilities and no one says anything about it because it's like, who cares? Like, it's, yeah. you know, like race matters more. And again, whatever. I'm not saying it doesn't. And gender and all these new things, like there is. That's why when we were talking about off mic about just being together. No, it's absolutely true. Yeah, and just I said in grad class uh, when I was a, um, a local when I was trying to get my first graduate degree, I had to change. I am not taking from any other demographic in this country. Okay, they all have a right to what they have a right to, whether right. it's gay, black, Irish, Italian. I don't give a crap. I'm not that girl. Right. But what I have a problem with, and I said this to my professor, and I said this in a sentence that I respect, I said, I apologize. Um, I can guarantee you this, that as a white American disabled female, I would have a harder time getting a job than this very intelligent African-American male would. Yeah. I mean, I, like to me, and if it's even you like... Can't, they couldn't say anything about it because they knew I was right because I don't know what they're talking about because they've never had to it. And... If it is as hard in economic times for the normal people, you can bet it is way harder and you are much more lower, lower on the totem pole is disabled. <laughs> it is. And it's just so jacked up. I mean, no one wants to talk about it. No one wants to do anything about it. And I'm not saying this because my political affiliation, but it was only into, if no, if someone out there can correct me if I'm wrong. But it was only into the 2008 election when Sarah Palin was uh, John McCain's running mate as VP when she said on national stage, I have a disabled child and we need to talk about them in this country. That is the only time in all the political elections you have ever heard close to there being a mention of that issue in this country and someone willing to start to entertain the idea of starting a national dialogue. When that didn't happen, has it ever been on the national political stage again? Nope. 2008, okay? Just like women should have rights, just like gays should have rights, just like blacks should have rights, whatever you want to call it. All of those movements have happened, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever. But guess what? The only piece or major piece of allegedly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, 1990, did we finally get the ADA. And by the way, as far as I know, the ADA has a lot of holes in it and it needs to be revamped yeah it was just kind of a starting point and now we need to revamp it but yeah no it, it, you're... we should have never waited until 1990 and have to wait to a national whether you like her or not that's not the point of this conversation right she a actually national created a conversation political... yes in 2008 18 years after the first major piece of the legislation when the rightfully so the civil rights moment black rights movement, women's rights movement, gay rights movement, whatever you want to call it, all happened in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s time period. And we only first get something going in our favor in 1990, and then you don't have an, a, the potentiality of a national dialogue about it 18 years later? Right. Are you kidding me? Well, that that's the point. Again, that, not to bring it up to me, but that's why this podcast and stuff like these things, that I, that's why I try to find all these people, because, again, we have to take, 
part of the responsibility where we actually have to start speaking up for ourselves and we have to stop waiting for people to do shit for us because they're not going to. We're never going no, to be on this. It. Yeah, because because we, disabled people are black. Disabled people are gay. They are, you know, we are in every one of these groups and a lot of disabled people fight for those causes. They'll be in Black Lives Matter or they'll be in, you know, the Me Too movement and all these things. But then when it comes for them to be in our causes, the, the people that we were fighting with, they don't join us. And then a it's lot either of either they're uncomfortable or they don't know what to do with it or they don't think it's important. They don't see the value like, oh, well, that's not my issue. Right. Well, OK. Well, and a lot of what people don't want to realize and don't want to come to terms with is that everybody is one accident away from being us. You know, somebody could fall on something and poke their eyes out. They're blind. Yeah. Somebody can get in a car accident. They're paralyzed. Like they're disabled. Whether you want to believe it or not, you're not that far away. And so we, we have to, again, like I said, we actually have to make more noise ourselves because, you know, we don't, we can't be silent about this shit anymore because, again, like we are the lowest minority. Like we are the biggest minority now because there's 1.6 or 8 billion of us, but we don't stick together. We don't fight for each other. A lot of times we fight for our individual, you know, disability or whatever. And again, that's fine too, but we're never going to make, I think in these small pockets, the blind is never going to make the change just for the blind. Like we need the deaf. We need everyone, even if it's not all the time, just in certain moments throughout the year, we got to stick together because we are actually a strong force together, but without each other, it's pointless. Like we're all over the place. And, and that's kind of, and that, again, that's kind of how the country is where it's like, you know, all the racial divide, like black and white people get along all the time. But if you keep watching the media and you watch all these videos, you think black and white people always hate each other, but it's like, because that's what they want. They don't want black and white people together because that's powerful and that makes real change. So, you know, disabled people, they don't want us together. They don't want us to actually, and they don't want people that are not disabled to fight with us because that actually, you know, people, they have to listen to us, but they don't have to listen to us right now. Like we're not, you know, we're, we're the ones that have to baggage the groceries and, and the dumb shit. Um, and there's some of us that's, you know, slip through the cracks, but there's not enough of us trying to push the envelope because and people did do that in the 60s and 70s and and you know that's why that documentary came out and there's a lot of people that fought for us but there's not enough of us that picked that ball up and ran with it and so if we if we just continue to sit around and just wait for you know i mean again look at some point social security is going to run out it's always been a fear and it's going to happen one day or another somebody is just going to say screw it whether it's a political reason or whatever they're just going to say screw it Unless we do fight for the next thing and continue to fight, we just we have to continue to, you know, push the boundaries. If we don't, we're just going to get left behind. Everyone cares. I mean, look, now people all of a sudden care about um, attacks on Asian people. That's been happening forever. It's just now they're catching up to it. Well, we're below Asians. We're below gay people. We're below black people. We're below Jewish people. We're below all that. When are they ever going to make time for us? They won't unless we actually you know, shoot up a flare and go, Hey, we, we exist. So I don't know. It's one of those passionate conversations, but what are you going to do? You are still there, right? Hello. Hello. No, I'm okay. still here. Sorry. It still, it became trendy because of COVID and it brought it in right smack in the middle of the narrative and the media's attention, but you're right. Uh, we're going to have to do it. And there's a reason why there's an expression of, you know, if you want it done right, you better do it. You need to know because no one's going to do it for you. But I don't disagree with you. But see, the other thing about Social Security that's so screwed up is, is there's only two ways to get it, okay? 
for anyone, I'm sure your audience, I don't know if your audience is aware of this, and you probably are too. There's SSI, you know, it's the same right. thing, and it's the same program, and it's welfare-based. But SSDI is based off of how much you've put into the system. Well, guess what? I can't get it because I didn't put it into the system. But why didn't I put it into the system? Because no one will hire me. Because why would no one hire me? Because I'm disabled. Right. So I can't get disability and I can't get a job. It leaves certain people in a catch-22 and the crosshairs of how the program is set up. And it's like, you're just, you're screwed. Right. Yeah, it's kind of a lot like the, you know, the prison system and, and, you know, or just, you know, just a lot of these kids that grow up in these urban areas, they're set up to fail because mm-hmm. all they see is drugs and violence Yep. And most of them have to end up going to that because that's the only way they're going to be able to feed their family or ever try to find a way out of these areas. But in general, it's going to 99% of the time is probably going to kill them or are going to end up in jail. And then these systems are not meant to deal with them. They just say, okay, hey, you have all these violent crimes on your resume. You're not, you know, back to the prison you go and now you're going to do 10 years. I don't care that you're 17. Um, and so it's just a constant cycle. That's why they call it, you know, the ghetto, the trap, because it's a trap. Like they yep. never get out or most people don't get out. And when they do get out, a lot of times it's just to, to rap or uh, play a sport. And the reality is most people aren't looking up to these doctors and these, because there's very few of them and police officers and so on. And there's not, right. and so it's just this constant revolving situation of, you know, there's no way out. And there's people that find way out. Like there's people that become you know, and I've talked about this many times with people who are disabled that make something of their life. But then what they do yep. is they kind of cut that part of their title out. They're no longer, you know, the blind YouTuber or the blind singer or whatever. They're now the singer that so happily is blind and it's like left in the background. So now they want to be known as they want to be as close to normal so that people accept them for who they are and they want them to forget their disability. And they're they're in a way they're ashamed and they close it up. And so that way, when people go to look at them, instead of saying like, hey, no, there's multiple people like me. There's plenty of talented people who have disabilities. You're just not giving them a chance. They close that portal behind them and say, oh, no, you're right. I am amazing. And I am I am basically, and they might not say it in these words, but they basically say with their actions, yeah, I'm, I'm an anomaly. I'm the only one out here. And so that, that no one really gets to see what we're capable of because they think this one person is just this one person that can end up on Ellen or some Tonight Show, and it's like, oh, wow, look at the one-legged, you know, dancer or whatever. And it's like, yeah, he is, he's fucking great. But there's a thousand, there's a million of us like that. It's just people don't But there's think- a reason why that's the case, though. Like, okay, and I had, a lot, I had a lot of struggle with this when I was trying to get jobs because I could walk into a, a potential employment and not say anything, and they perceive me as normal, but it, and maybe give me a job, but then I'm, like, lying. But I learned that if I told the truth oh well as soon as you say the truth their whole perception even though you may be the smartest and the most baddest at whatever you do but as soon as you put that word into the equation of disability of whatever kind it's like their whole perception and opinion of you just went out the window and they're not going to give you a chance so you either lie and you feel crappy for lying or you're risking screwing your financial future but if you do tell the truth you're not going to get a chance anyway so like you're caught in a catch-22 because so much of society's for whatever reason, lack of education or ignorance, their perception and attitude towards you changes immediately as soon as you say that word. Right. Well, again, again, it's another thing I've said many times. Two of the things that we get associated with as far as once you say the word disability, you get associated with the logo, the guy in the wheelchair, 
and you get associated mm-hmm. with having special needs because, you know, in our case, we have to look close to a phone. Well, we look, again, some people will say we look retarded. I try not to use the word too much because it's a group of people yeah. that can't defend themselves. And I'm not a word person, but it's one of the words I try to cut out of my vernacular because, you know, right. again, they're a group of people that can't defend themselves, but even though they are an amazing group of people. Anyway, um, I mean, when in the 80s and I was in Texas, it's that whole educational debate. Do you include or exclude? The education board or whoever made those decisions at the time when I was kindergarten, first grade, and second, they're like, she needs to be excluded. She, my mom fought like hell to make sure I wasn't included. She's like, no, she doesn't. She's smart. She just has to do things differently. Just because you have to do things differently doesn't mean you should be excluded. I don't know where the education philosophy is on it now, but back in the 80s, it was all um, exclusion. Right. And like I said, those two things that we get equated to are the things that hold us back because those that, you know, it's propaganda. It's the imagery that people see when they hear disabled. And again, like this is where, like I said, I'm not a word person, but I've gone back to the word disabled. When I played video games, it's like disabling an alarm. That means turning it off so it doesn't work. Well, when people hear the word disabled, that's what it means. Like you're turning us, we don't work. And it's like, well... In, in, a, in a literal sense, we don't work because 75% of us are unemployed. So in a way, that, that yep. fits. Now, again, some of that is our fault. Because no one will hire them. Right. But there, there, there is a small point that <laughs> there are, you know, because we get, we get labeled with the, uh, the stereotype, I'm sorry, of us, is that we just want to sit around and collect disability. And, yes, there are some people that do that. There are some people that create their own disability by eating themselves into a chair and, you know, and they, wanna, they want it for their heart medication and all this shit. But the majority of us do want to work. And the ones that do work, we fight like hell to keep a job like me. And, and, you know, but I know if I lose my job tomorrow, as much as I don't love, besides the podcast, if I lose my job tomorrow, I'm in deep shit because financially I'm doing well. But I don't, if I lose it, I'm in trouble. And it's, it's, right. And the odds of you being able to get it back by another avenue, you're probably not. Right. And like with disability, you can't, I don't know about you. I don't know how long you've been working and how many quarters you have, you probably won't be able to get it back. And the sad thing is for the ones that wanted to try and make something in their life, they've actually screwed themselves if they ever needed disability because supposedly the way the system works is if you go for it before you're 18 and actually try and make something in your life, you have a lot better chance of making it. But if you don't want to live off of it, then you've screwed yourself when you need it. It's so, it, it makes no sense how they do it and it doesn't work and it's screwed up and it's messed up. No. I mean, I could have, if I had known about it at 18, applied for disability and probably would have gotten it. But because I waited until I was in my 20s and 30s when I didn't have any other option because I worked my butt off in college and tried to get work and then couldn't, thought I'd go that route. I don't have enough quarters. And the age you have to be to match your quarters or whatever it is, equations totally jacked up. Yeah. Um, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's frustrating. But, anyway. but yeah, no, I know. I don't want to end it that way because it's. Are you there, sir? It, yeah. You hear me? Um, Hello? Yep. Can you hear me? Oh, oh sorry. I'm here. Okay. Are you I, there? I, I, yeah, I bumped mute. I don't know what happened there. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I don't want to end it on just like that, but I, I understand like your frustration because I've been dealing my whole life and it, it is super frustrating. It makes me sad to see how many of us are struggling and, and, you know, how many of us need all this extra service and all this stuff. And that's all right. Like I said, I do what I do. I try to put a little information out there. And again, like some people may hear what you're saying and hear what I'm saying. And they may just think we're just disgruntled and we're just mad and we're making up excuses, but no, like that, that no. there's a realization a that a lot of people don't exactly. understand what we go through. And yep. there's nothing wrong with people fighting for these causes for black people and gay people. And they should, and, and we should fight should, for them. But then but our we, needs to be fought for ours is equally just as much. To right. me, what's good for the, good for the gander. If we're going to have all these movements and, 
activism, you know, activism and advocacies and that needs to happen for everyone. I'm not taking from all these other groups that have had it. Good for them. Right. But there's something wrong when <laughs> they've all had it and we're still not. Yeah, I you mean, figure we'd get a turn at some point. Like, give us something. You're not one group. Never ever should have the market a monopoly on disenfranchisement and discrimination. <laughs> right. And being a minority because there's many out there. It's not just all about you. Should you have it? Yes, but you can't just say you're the only one. I'm not sure if this is everybody, but I think it is. And I'm, again, maybe this is just with SSDI because that's what I get. But, you know, I get a I get a letter in the mail every year, once a year, just telling me like, hey, we just want to let you know that you're still disabled. Like, hey, we know you still have an eye problem. You're still eligible for all our stuff. Uh, basically, congratulations. It's like, yeah, thanks. Um, I didn't know I had to fucking prove that. Like, yeah, my eyes are screwed <laughs> no up. Kidding. I understand. Um, thanks for the letter, but I didn't need that. Like, thanks. Um, no, I don't get that. And it wouldn't matter now because of, um, you know, the other side of Social Security is when you you lose your children, lose a parent, you get death benefits. And so I'm tapped out in the system anyway because that's not my husband's death. But, and yeah. while I'm grateful for that, it's just irritating to me prior to that, that no matter what I do, I won't, I can't get a job in this country, but I can't get something to help me either in my own right. I'm like, really? It just, it's so how they put you in a catch 22 and like stuck in a rock in a hard place. Yeah. It's like I said, With not any option. I, I 100% but, I mean, understand it. I have chosen to try and do what I can choose to do things like this podcasting you know doing interviews you know writing or other things i can do from home because i don't have to worry about um (laughs) the bs that comes with trying to be employed and your employer in american culture and society when you're disabled yeah and getting yourself out there and making your voice known and just making it so that you annoy them enough to where they actually have to listen to you um you know even if you make a small little change just a little bit just move the needle just a smidge like you it's something like like i said i don't i don't know what's going to happen whenever i check out of this world but i just want to go down as knowing i fought for what i believed in and you know you made the days count and you did what you did and you try to make a difference that's all we can do yeah that's why I, i say what i say and if people don't like what i say or they disagree or agree like i don't care like i'm not my intentions are good i'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings yes and if people don't like what I have to say, that's fine. You don't got to listen to me. But I'm not I'm not falling for all this bullshit culture where people cancel you for whatever. Like, I'm just going to say how I feel. My intentions are literally exactly. bringing people together. And we all fight for everyone's causes. Why I have people on here that are homeless or have or had, you know, formerly homeless. And I have, have people on here that have addiction issues. I've never done drugs in my life. But addiction is something that plagues everyone. You know, everyone in someone's household. Uh, you know, there's, there's, you know, I've dealt with every, I'm, I'm, you know, covering so many different disabilities and, and just can, you know, rare conditions and all these things is because I care, because again, right. at the end of the day, we, we got to stick together, not just disabled people, but people in general. Right. And we got to fight for, we what- all have a voice. We all have a message and we all have a story to tell. And they're all merit and worthy of being heard. Yeah, exactly. Um, is there anything else you want to do to just kind of close it out? Or are you, you good? Like I said, this was really fun. I just say for me, it's, this is my story. This is where I'm at. This is what I've learned. And that's what I want to share. And I would say to anyone, life is a choice. You get to define it for yourself. Be you, do you, and always strive to thrive and do what you got to do and enjoy the journey. Yeah. Thank you. I sweet. Um, yeah, please, uh, keep in touch. Like I said, I hope we can be friends and, uh, 
anything you ever need, you just need someone to talk to or whatever. Like I said, clearly we kind of, we went down a similar path in some way, especially with, with our eyes. And, uh, yeah. you know, like I said, I, I know a lot what you went through. And like I said, if you ever need a friend, just please call or text me anytime. All right. Thanks so much for this opportunity and have a great day. And I hope this was good content and hopefully talk to you in the future. Yeah, we will. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. Um, so that went in a different direction towards the end, but hey, it's 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 good good dialogue and it's a lot of stuff that I think um, I don't know. Some people may think like I didn't ever try to like push these people. I try not to like uh, counteract what they're saying, and you know, I don't always agree with everything the guests say on here. Um, sometimes I try to throw my input, but I, I like I said, it's not really an argumentative show. People are allowed to have their opinion. People are allowed to say how they feel, and and. I could completely disagree with it. Like, unless it's complete rhetoric or hatred towards someone or whatever, that's the shit I won't tolerate. But if it's just, look, if that's how they feel, that's how they feel. Like, I don't have to be like them. I don't have to, you know, agree with everything because I don't. And allow people to be themselves. I think that's the most important part. It's the one thing I love about myself, like, with this podcast. Like, I let people be themselves because that's, that's, that's what you got to do. That's what I want in return and... You know, I want people to feel comfortable because I don't want people to think they can come on here and then just like they have to like half-ass it or cover up, you know, certain things because people might not accept uh, something they'll say or something that's in their past. And I don't want that shit. Like, I want them to be themselves. And, um, you know, like I said, I love doing this and, and I hope this turns into something more down the road. But for right now, I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied where it's at because I find all these great people and, and, and it's just we have conversations that need to be had at all times. You know, one of the things I, I discussed with, with Miss Robbins and, and some others that one of the things I love about it is like I have people on here and it's just they all look different. They all have different conditions. They all have different stories that make them them. This isn't a podcast for a certain demographic as far as, you know, culturally or, or the way they look or their ethnicity or any of that. It, it, it's anybody who's going through a struggle. And a lot of us, most people have gone, I mean, everybody's going through some sort of struggle. It's just you know, the veracity of, of the, the size of, of this actual um, problem that you've gone through. And so uh, as I'm dying down here and can barely speak, I'm going to end this. But yeah, I, I guess I, it's one of the things I take pride in is just like, I don't care who, where you're from and what you've been through. Let's just have a real conversation and let's just put some good, good information out there and some good vibes and, and hopefully people take to it and, and, you know, good things come from it. Um, so yeah, again, I guess, again, guys, again, I can't fucking talk. Love you guys. I appreciate the support. Please share and, 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 you know, give it to someone who might need it. There's plenty of people out there that are struggling and, uh, it may save someone's life. Um, and so, yeah, again, uh, we're going strong and we're on for our, going on to our second year. And I got to remember, this is like episode 75. And even though I'm doing it as like, the day I put out episode 53. So that's how far ahead this episode is. But, you know, I like to stay on it and I don't want to just turn these people away because they all have a story and, and they're making time for me. So I should, um, just allow them to be themselves and, and tell their story. And, you know, if they're going to give me an hour or two of their time. Then I have to just apply. So I'll see you guys on the next one, and thanks for the support, guys. Appreciate it. Bye.